welcome to My Faculty Podcast at Walden University, created to provide further professional development and conversations relevant to faculty interests. This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Research Quality. Welcome to Research Talk. I'm Lee Statlander, and with me today are a panel of two distinguished faculty members at Walden. I'm going to let you each introduce yourself so our listeners know your voices. First, Michelle Brown. Hello, everyone. Michelle Brown, Director of Committee Support and Doctoral Student Progress with the Center for Research Quality here at Walden. Happy to be here. And Tony Perry. Hi, Lee. Hey, Michelle. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Tony Perry. I've uh, been with the School of Psychology for about 12 years as program director and the last five years as a full-time faculty member, mainly doing uh, dissertation mentoring, dissertation intensive. Glad to be here. And Tony, how many students do you have? Currently, I have about 24 students that are enrolled in my dissertation shell. I have a another four or five that are on LOA, and I serve on about five or six uh, as uh, committees as committee member. Great. You're definitely an expert in this area. <laughs> so our topic for today is mentoring doctoral students through the quantitative data collection process and the analysis. I'd like to start by hearing your views on why you think it's important to be involved in students' data collection and analysis. Why not just turn them loose and let them do it on their own? Michelle, why don't you give us the official reason? <laughs> sure. Yeah. We definitely want to be involved um, early and often. <clears throat> students make sure that they are on the right path in terms of. Um, not just analysis, but the collection process especially, um, help students identify any potential red flag issues that could be there for them, um, give them a lot of guidance up front so that we're not having to go back and redo or address things that could have been addressed um, at the very beginning. And so I think that support up front is, you know, really important. Tony? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think another uh, reason to do that, uh, especially with uh, our students and given their characteristics and the nature of our programs, uh, our students just don't have the, the, the same kind of experience that, uh, for example, we had when we were traditional students, uh, always involved in research using uh, data collection and analyses on uh, more frequent manner. I, I think our students get to dissertation and for for most of them, it's really the first time they've engaged in an independent research project that they're responsible for. And so even though they've gone through the, the research sequence and have done well in their courses, uh, taking that in that expertise and actually carrying out an independent study and doing data collection in a a major analysis uh, can be uh, somewhat of a daunting task and it's easy to make just simple mistakes during that process and I, so I think that the committee and the mentoring process is really important to to help those students get through that yeah I agree I mean I think a lot of it 
too, is that it can be years since they've taken a quantitative course. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, they may have been able to do it at that time, but if you're not doing it regularly, it just is gone and it mm -hmm. feels really foreign. They also change the software for everything so often that, mm -hmm. you know, if you learn it on an earlier edition of SPSS, <clears throat> they've added features. It looks different. I mean, yeah, I think it's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So, Tony, how do you mentor students through the data collection process? Uh, yeah, I, I do a couple of things. Um, and I, I, as we were emailing back and forth, I think we, we do some similar things. And I think it's, it's really important to, to work with them and mentor them step by step. So uh, what I like to do initially, even before the data collection, is talk to them about uh, their design and how they're going to collect the data. Uh, so, for example, how they're going to set up SurveyMonkey or how they're going to design an online experiment. Uh, once they do that, um, I rarely, I, well, I don't do this at all, I don't just turn them loose and let them go collect the data. Uh, I, I think uh, in the first steps, I, I allow students to set up their data collection procedures, collect some data on a few participants, and then stop so that we can look at that initial data collection uh, and look at uh, whether the experiment or the survey is set up correctly. We go through the scoring procedures. Uh, in a lot of cases, especially using surveys, you have things that are sometimes reverse scored or have different particular scoring procedures that, that are not intuitive uh, for the students sometimes, just to make sure that those things are set up so that they don't go through and collect a lot of data only to later realize that either survey was was missing an important question or that it was set up incorrectly or the scoring procedure was wrong, just to verify that initially and then move to the next step of data collection, I think is important. Yeah, great point. I've had them make the weirdest ideas about what they think is going on with software. It always amazes me. I had somebody that was working with SurveyMonkey and she was working with the Alzheimer's Association. And mm -hmm. they were sending out the invite to people in their group and then they would be sent to SurveyMonkey. And the students somehow got the idea that the Alzheimer's Association was completing the SPSS file for her. <laughs> and <laughs> no, that's not what's happening here. You know, All right. It, it, I didn't get that until I had her explain to me what she thought was going on with the data collection. And it came out at that point. So I think it's very important to, you know, have them explain things to you. And so you can verify that they're understanding each step. Things that's mm -hmm. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an right. excellent point. Yeah, and I, well, I can remember one particular lead. You know the what committee I'm thinking about. <laughs> yes, uh, I do. Where the student was using a, a secondary data source, an archival data set, and you and I were on several calls with the student, and she could not explain anything about mm -hmm. the date. She and she produced at least one version of Chapter Four. Uh, and we realized that she had no 
clue what she had done. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, yeah, and, and I had looked at the database ahead of time with her. Uh, she seemed to understand the analysis that she want, was going to do. But when it actually came to explaining what she did, it was, you know, it was pretty clear that she didn't really know what she was doing. No. And got very yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are definitely considerations and things that you need to, almost a checklist to go through some, you know, considerations with students using secondary data also. Like you were mentioning students um, collecting primary data through SurveyMonkey or other. but <clears throat> yeah, definitely. I and like Lee, you mentioned how the student was confused that SurveyMonkey would, you know, somehow create the SPSS file, or that the that the Alzheimer Association would. It's very similar situation sometimes with students when they're utilizing secondary data. Like they mm-hmm. assume they're going to get it in a format that works. They just dump it into SPSS, for example, <laughs> that uh, they will only receive the data points that they require for their study and that they'll be in the right format for their study and no recoding or, uh, you know, and and that is, I mean, as you all know, I mean, that's rarely, maybe never the case. So, um, you know, not just, hey, student, can you access the data? and are there good descriptions available? Have you examined it? Do you know, you know, what the nature of the population is from which the sample was drawn and all of that stuff? But definitely, um, I think a big thing you need to do with students early on, and and all of these things we're talking about, it seems like you're better able to help a student in a live kind of a meeting, whether you're on Zoom, yeah. on a phone call, Blackboard Collaborate. So it has to be live because kind of like the back and forth messaging won't, it's difficult enough to understand and students get confused. So really that live conversation and you kind of help them. You, I think a big thing is helping them set up their SPSS data file in the beginning. Um, certainly giving them guidance and then checking it to make sure that it is set up properly for the analyses that they want to do, that they're bringing the data in in a way that is accurate and um, will work again for the for the analyses and I think definitely um, I mean Walden has some good resources right with the methodology advising and SPSS tutoring if they need help with recoding but sometimes they don't know what they need help with and I think that's that's a really important piece mm-hmm. for the mentor and the methodologist to do very true and I think a lot of times people don't know what they don't know. And Absolutely. they don't even know question to ask about it. Mm-hmm. And that really becomes kind of the chair's responsibility to, you know, oversee it and make sure that it's being done correctly. Because they do know what, or they should, what's happening yes. with a file or whatever. I know yeah. I've had students who brought in a data file like from SurveyMonkey into SPSS and things will come up as a string variable and they don't understand that you've got mm-hmm. to go in and change all that to numerical and numerical rather and you know you have to set up whether or not it's a scale variable or ordinal and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I mean there's a lot of back steps here that need to take place that 
they have no idea about. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Lee, you were mentioning uh, a lot of our students may not have had those courses for years when they get to dissertation. Yeah. Uh, and, and even those students that are actually pretty proficient at using SPSS can do the analysis. I, I find a lot of times that for many students, even when they can do the analysis, I spend a lot of time simply uh, not lecturing, but explaining what the analyses and the results mean mm -hmm. when we get the output. Um, I think that's almost as common as students getting stuck on actually how to use SPSS is once they do the analysis, what do my results mean? Yeah. And so we yeah. go back, it's almost like a, a, a basic refresher course on how to do a, and what a MANOVA is or what's multiple regression. And when you get the right. output, how do you interpret that data? Um, There's a great book that I recommend to students. It's the SPSS Survival Guide by Paloma. Mm -hmm. And it explains it so well. Each statistic, it goes through how to set up hypotheses and things and what your data parameters should be and then how to run the stat and then how to interpret it based on the output and then how to write it up. So it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a really nice refresher, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, certainly once the analysis takes place, there's a lot of additional guidance that students often need with the interpretation. Exactly. Like, you know, I've just proven something. It's like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, let's not even talk about causation, you know, if it's they're doing a correlation or, you know, they're, and 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 those are right those are rookie mistakes right everyone's made rookie mistakes and they but they need they need that guidance to help them understand what it is that they are finding and and they they're going to need some guidance with the interpretation piece for sure mm -hmm. so tony are there any other things that you do with data analysis when you mentor students uh well uh, in addition to just monitoring those first initial steps, uh, I, I think it's important that someone on the committee, whether it's the chair, if they're not the methodologist or the committee member, if they are the methodologist, certainly review uh, the data files and the output files and have conversation with the student about their analysis and their output um, so that you know that they understand what they're what they've done, what they're going to do with the data, and how they're going to interpret the data. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, I often get on like Zoom or go to meeting or something like that, and actually have them run analyses while I'm watching. Um, that way, I can give help, but I also know if they're doing it and if they're doing it correctly. Mm -hmm. Do you do anything like that? I haven't watched them do the analysis, um, but once we've I verified that they're doing the data collection correctly and they're scoring it correctly, uh, we will I'll look have a Zoom or a phone call to look at their output and discuss their output and the results. Um, and occasionally, I, I was mentioning uh, to you early in our in a conversation that I had a a, a student who 
uh, we looked at the first few participants. He was doing a study in SurveyMonkey and had some uh, unique uh, scoring procedures on some of his surveys. And so we went through it. He was doing it correctly. So he continued with data collection. Uh, we got to his final output and every single significant result was in the opposite direction of his hypotheses, which was kind of odd. So we randomly pulled uh, some of those data points and realized that he forgot to do the unique scoring procedures on some of the surveys. So he spent a, a week or so rescoring his data and it came out the way he hypothesized. But it, it's, in most cases, it's, it's something very simple when there's a mistake in the data file or in the data analysis, uh, but it can add up to a lot of hours of, of recoding. So I, I think those kinds of things that you're doing, uh, like walking through the analysis or watching them do it, is probably a good idea that I, I actually might start doing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't feel obligated to watch every minute. I mean, I'm doing other things, but I feel like I'm there as a resource if mm -hmm. they get stuck mm -hmm. or it's like, I don't know what this means, you know? Yeah. 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 And I haven't watched a student do it live, but I I have, um, you know, fairly often um, when a student completes some analyses and they send me their file and I'm looking at their output file and I have the data file, I run the analyses myself as well and just mm -hmm. make sure that we're getting the same results. Yeah. Um, it's sort of my way of double checking that they did run it correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's something that I do. Um, and often, students often when I'm in that role mm -hmm. don't realize like the importance of cleaning their data set and making sure that they have responses in all the cells and you know mm -hmm. that kind of stuff it, that I mean a lot of it is more experience I think yeah they don't have so mm -hmm. exactly yeah so does Walden have a policy Michelle on how much faculty should mentor students through the data analysis process? Yeah, and so this relates to both committee faculty and then also if there's an external consultant used, which is up to the student. I mean, it's not necessarily a recommendation of Walden for students to use external consultants, which is why Walden provides so many resources, one-on-one -on -one tutoring, methodology office hours that they can use here. But yeah, the policy is that students must collect their own data and they must do their own analyses um, uh, for their study. So I mean, think about it. Those are definitely requirements for a student to understand and be able to interpret. So in that final, you know, oral, for example, we want to ensure that students have a good grasp of what they did and obviously the relevance and important significance of it, but what the findings mean and that they're interpreting it properly. Um, students definitely have to be able to understand the research that they've conducted for their capstone. Could you define for me what you mean by a consultant? Sure. Yeah, so um, sometimes students um, on their own decide to um, enlist the services of someone from outside of Walden, like um, an editor, not from the Writing Center, but an editor that they hire on their own. 
um, in terms of uh, a statistical consultant, that's another potential um, role that a student might decide to um, enlist their assistance with uh, checking their analyses and um, checking that they set up their data file properly. Or, um, But the policy, again, is that students need to collect the data and students need to conduct the analyses independently. Do they, are they required to write it up? They can receive um, assistance similar to editing assistance, but, um, you know, and maybe um, have conversations about interpretation, but the student themselves need to write their own work. Yes, that's, that's correct. So have you seen that come up, Tony, in your experience where students use stats consultants? Yeah. Um... Uh, the the most egregious case that we saw when I was a program director, um, I got a call one day from someone not affiliated with the university, and the person said that they had received a bill in the mail from an editing service, and realized they did a search. the The person said it it was they sent it to to me because I have a name of one of your students. And he looked up the student's name and was a student in the School of Psychology. And uh, he sent me the bill with the student's name and address. And uh, I forwarded that to uh, the, the associate dean at the time. And uh, it was a, a bill from an editing service where they had uh, outlined in detail the services, which included data collection, uh, analysis of the data, writing up the data, uh, and the bill came to about $28,000. Oh my. It was, it was called an editing service. Wow. Oh my. Uh, so I think that's, that's the most extreme kind of cases where a student hires a consultant that actually just does everything, uh, almost like a paper mill, but this, in this case it was a dissertation data collection mill and analysis. Um, that yeah, is so, extreme. Yeah, but then there's been other cases. Um, I remember earlier on uh, when I started at Walden, uh, when I started serving on committees, when I was uh, started learning how to do the process, I can, I can remember there were a couple of, of faculty who I know did the analysis for the student and helped, and, if not writing most of chapter four, did a bulk of the writing. Um, and I didn't know any better at the time. I just thought that was the normal process. So I think, and as I think it's difficult for chairs and committee members, I think that can be a fine line is where does mentoring begin and actually doing the work start? Because um, I, I don't think we, we want to be doing that work. We want to guide and assist and help the student complete their project and complete the data analysis and understand the analysis and the results and be able to communicate their results effectively. But I, I, I think sometimes some faculty go beyond the point of mentoring and and move into the area of, well, I'm just going to do this myself because it's easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that doesn't seem yeah, like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I, yeah, that's just not doing the student any favors at all, is yeah. it? No, no, yeah. Yeah, because they're going to be assumed to know mm -hmm. whatever it was they did in their dissertation. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, they are supposed to come out being the expert on that topic <clears throat> with a very, what, working command of the analyses that they did and the, the findings. Mm -hmm. and Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we do in um, New Scholars Workshop uh, available to our students who are near graduating um, is uh, the elevator speech. You know, uh, take <clears throat> what what do we do? One minute or two minutes? Yeah. I and they need to um, explain their study in that amount of time. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, having students. <laughs> able to speak to what it is that they've done is telling it's very telling mm -hmm. um, so yeah it's important for them to get that command and not to do it for them that's just not helping yeah i agree so are there things that faculty need to particularly watch for as red flags in their students when there could be potentially serious problems so how do you know if the student collected it or, I mean, how can we troubleshoot? So the one red flag for sure that has come up with me in various roles, not just chair methodologist, but as a URR is if you request to see um, the data set or the output of the analyses and if a student is not able to produce that um, for various reasons, you know, they lost their computer or um, it's at work and they're at home. But if they're not able to produce um, the data, the data file itself, and then the output of the analyses conducted, then that's definitely a red flag. That's yeah. now required, correct? That's right. Yes, it is policy that students must have um, the data collected um, available to their committee. And then also any, you know, results of analyses, um, et cetera. So yes, it is policy now. Tony, are there other things that you look for? I think Michelle already mentioned part of it is if they can't explain what they did and, and how they did it, that's probably another red flag. Um, but in terms of errors in the analysis, which are probably more common, um, at least in my experience, you know, whenever, whenever you see results that were the opposite of, of the hypotheses, there's probably a scoring problem. Mm -hmm. um, or the, anything that looks funky in, in the analysis. It, it could be that they right. just set up the SPSS commands, uh, reworded something strangely, um, you know, those kinds of things. There's, there's an endless number of simple kinds of mistakes that can end up with a funky output where there's some or all of the results just don't come out correctly because there's an error somewhere. Uh, or so if they be out exactly as predicted, I would also question those. <laughs> yeah, in the opposite direction. Yeah, so the opposite can happen that it came out perfectly. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, or you see yeah. a, 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 an extremely large amount of the variance accounted for, which is right. <laughs> <laughs> like ninety uh, percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that can also be a flag. Yeah. yeah. I, I think overall, though, those kinds of uh, intentional data fabrication situations are probably a little more rare. Uh, we remember them uh, and they stick in our minds a lot, but I think it's uh, more often the case that uh, students are making uh, just common mistakes in either setting up the file, doing the analysis, or doing the interpretation. And, and that's where the, the committee comes in and, and guiding and uh, interpreting and digging around to see where those errors were made. Yeah, it's right. very easy to set up the SPSS file wrong, you know, they mm -hmm. have the wrong type of variable and that kind of thing that can really mess up students. Yeah. yeah. And I think red flags and in interpretation, like Tony, you just mentioned it happens in interpretation as well. Definitely, right? And it's most often by accident. Um, they, yeah. they generalize when they should not. They refer to causation when they should not, um, and so on. Uh, and they something is significant when, in fact, actually it's not statistically significant. Or For so students have an awful lot of problem with that greater than and less than sign. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's so common. I, it always surprises me. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it is one of those things when you've worked with um, p-values for years and years, like you barely have to glance at it and you know, but students, yeah, they'll flip-flop it by accident more often than you would think. And and you just need to make sure that you are always looking and, and catching those mistakes very early on before they write up any interpretation yeah. <laughs> so that they don't have to do a lot of rewriting. So it's important to look at their results um, and have a conversation with them about them before they go off and write an entire chapter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. they can change their whole view of the study if they think it's mm -hmm. not significant when it is or vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. Does anybody have anything else that they would burning issues that they want to make sure that get out there? Nothing burning. Okay. Well, I, I did have one other question for Michelle. Um, oh. <laughs> what, what, when students come to CRQ for some of those methodological sessions or SPSS sessions, what are some of the most common questions that students have when they're at the data collection stage, when they come for assistance? Because I know a lot of students, I've had students that I unknowingly to me, I, I didn't know that they had gone, but they, after the fact, they said, oh, I went to a, a session because I had a question on this. Mm. Um, I think you know, for a lot of uh, chairs and, and committee members, they have students that are going to your office hours, maybe because they don't want to tell their chair or committee member that they don't really understand something, though, so they'll go to the tutoring session first. Mm -hmm. And I'll let Lee speak to the whole student, wor working with the student and then looping in the committee, because I know Lee does some appointments um, as well for in CRQ. I think a really common thing, very common thing that students come for um, in the development stage of their, even as early as the prospectus stage, um, but certainly prior to collecting data, even determining a data source, 
is um, research design alignment. A lot of students get feedback from their committee that this isn't aligned or work on your alignment, strengthen your alignment, but they're not given more actionable guidance and that conversation may not you know, be held when it would be great if it would be a live conversation to kind of explain what you mean by that. And so oftentimes students come with questions, um, what do I need to do to better align my study design overall, which includes, you know, the data they're collecting, maybe the analyses that they had planned aren't well aligned with the question, the way it's worded, um, or the data source level of measurement is not, you know, lining up with the analysis that they have planned. I'd say that's the most common. Issue. We also see a lot where they want to do secondary data analysis and they have variables in mind they want to use, but they haven't looked if whether or not the data set they want to use have those, vari those variables, which seem, right. you know, so basic, but, yeah. or they don't know if they can get access to the data. Mm -hmm. Another question. Um, we also have a lot of students come in that want to have you help them set up the SPSS file. That's a very common question. And I think that's a great use of the service. That Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's a lot of it is helping them figure out what analysis makes sense with their research question. And mm -hmm. Right. Making sure that it's aligned with what they want to do as far as their problem goes. You know, that all those pieces are aligned. So anything else before we move on? No, that's, that's it. Well, I want to thank great. you both so much for talking to me today. Um, I know that faculty are going to find this really useful as they begin to think about what they do to monitor, to mentor their students through the quantitative process. So thank you so much. Thank you Absolutely. too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Research Talk. Our music is by audionautics.com and I'm Dr. Lee Statlander. Today's podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Center for Research Quality. Mm -hmm.